From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. As much as we all love March Madness, so far it's been a maddening month for the wrong reasons for men's basketball. After going on a five-game winning streak that seemed to safely propel them into the big dance, consecutive home losses have now put that into some doubt. On today's show, we'll discuss the latest trials and tribulations for basketball, how the Gators performed at the NFL Combine, baseball's offensive explosion, a significant test for softball, gymnastics achieving another first, and more with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. Then, we'll talk to senior Kavarius Hayes about the culmination of his time in Gainesville, the personal growth he has undergone, and how Spidey ranks the Spider-Man movies. But first, Mike White's team was rolling into March until they hit the brick wall that was UGA last Saturday. That numbing defeat changed much of the narrative surrounding the Gators' race to the finish and it was followed by a similarly deflating overtime loss to LSU on senior night. As they try to pull the pieces back together before they run out of time, we opened our roundtable by asking Chris where things went wrong when the calendar turned to March. I mean, I've been doing this for eight years with this uh, program, Um, and the the Georgia game was the least inspired, uh, certainly home game performance I'd, I think I'd seen. Mike White spoke after that game about he saw some stuff in practice and uh, saw some stuff in shoot around that day. Um, I've seen horrible shoot arounds that, uh, that ended in 20 point wins and vice versa. Um, and talking to Kabarius Hayes after the Georgia game, he took some ownership in letting that uh, kind of lapse out uh, for that Georgia game. And I think I made the point going into that, you know, Georgia was a team that had played some really good teams, four straight games. They'd lost four straight one possession games to likely NCAA tournament teams. And those were all points that were made to the players. And for them to come in and win that game on Florida's home court with so much at stake, uh, this is a very, very telling thing. And especially when Georgia turns around, scores 15 points in the first half at home against Missouri um, mm. Wednesday night. Uh, and, you know, in the game while Florida was, uh, was losing to LSU. So, LSU game was a much better effort, obviously. There were some things that Mike White wasn't happy with def- defensively in the first half. But um, I just think that that game is kind of like the season in microcosm and that uh, top 10 team at home, play them hard. Don't make the plays down the stretch to win, even though in, in this particular case, they did make some plays. They just they had the last shot and didn't take it. Uh, and, I, and in a lot of ways, uh, that's Kayvon Allen's career in microcosm. I mean, he's a 1,600-point scorer. He has four points. Uh, has a ball in his hands, an open shot with 1.6 seconds left, and tries to drive the ball. And, you know, he's been uh, encouraged to shoot the ball. It was just a bizarre way to to lose a basketball game. And when you go across his statistic line in what was his last uh, – on his senior night, he's one for six in the first half. He didn't take a shot in the second half in 20 minutes. Wow. And it's just – that's one that people are going to remember, I think, uh, especially on a night where – and I say my season of microcosm. Uh, Mike White went into the year thinking this was going to be a really good offensive team when you have uh, Kayvon Allen and Jalen Hudson. He, he was wondering where how, how he was going to stop guys. And then, uh, uh, you know, Jalen Hudson doesn't score all season. And then in his, in his senior night, 
he goes for 33 points. Uh, he goes for 27 in the second half. Mm. Um, I mean, it is a tough one to figure out. Uh, is this a good sign for, for the Gators with regards to where Jalen Hudson, what Jalen Hudson has left in the season? I don't know. I, I don't know that matters right now at 17 and 13. Going to Kentucky for the season finale Saturday. I think Florida is 10 and 60 all time at Lexington. So wow. that's good. And they won there. One of those wins was last year. It's going to be a hard game to win, obviously on Kentucky's uh, regular season finale. They'll start today thinking they may have a chance to get a share of the SEC regular season title, depending on what happens with Tennessee and LSU. But uh, Florida probably has to win, I think, at least one to get uh, it realistically on the bubble. If they win two games in the SEC tournament, I think that'll put them in the NCAA tournament. But to do that, they got to win Thursday against probably a likely uh, NCAA tournament-bound team, whether it's Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Alabama, uh, Auburn, it's going to be really hard. And then to win a second game, they will have to beat a team that has a bye in the first round, probably one of the higher seed tournament teams. And Florida, uh, frankly, has is historically not very good in the SEC tournament, you know, with the exception of, a, of that three-year run Billy Donovan had back in the 2005, 2006, 2007. Um, I think Mike White is one in three in uh, SEC tournaments, and each of his losses have been to uh, higher-ranked teams with the exception of one, I think. So uh, they got their work cut out for them. It was a downer of a night. Regardless, it would have been tremendous. It would have been really, really great story uh, if Jalen Hudson could have gone out on a senior night with a, with that game, hitting that fadeaway three-pointer to give them the lead, and then just watching the orange and blue defensive Red Sea uh, part for Tremont Waters to go length of the floor for a layup. I understand exactly why it happened. He's beelining down the court, Adam. They got three-point shooters on each side. You don't want to give up a three-point shot and lose the game at the buzzer. Uh, you'd much rather give up a shot like that, I guess, than take it to overtime. But that guy's a really, really good player who had not played well against Florida's two previous games. He was 6-27, 3 for 18 in his two previous games in Florida. He was really, really good in scoring 19 points and uh, six assists. The Gators did force him into six turners, but he made the shot at the end of the game. He's a really hard guy to, uh, to keep in front of you. So... Uh, heartbreaking loss, but not a totally surprising one given the tenor of what's happened this season with this team. They go to Kentucky, then go to the SEC tournament, and come what may, we'll see what happens with the season. When you get to this point in the year, there's a lot of, oh, what could have been? How could this have been different? And it was hard to watch the game against LSU and not think about where the season might be if that Jalen Hudson was the Jalen Hudson throughout the year, which I think is probably what most people expected from Jalen Hudson. So curious for your thoughts on how he played in the context of the greater team. Was he just taking away points that maybe Noah Locke or Keontae Johnson would have added? Or if that Jalen Hudson was around the whole year, would the team be in a totally different position? Well, I think they would be in a totally different position. I mean, there was a point in time, and it was in, and it was early in the season, it was in the Bahamas, where Mike White just watched Jalen Hudson and said, I'm going to start Noah Locke. He's playing better. And Noah Locke had a really, really strong run until he started dealing with this uh, hip pointer. I mean, he's still the second leading scorer on the team. I don't know how many times Mike White's been asked, and I don't know how, in, in, whether it's media interviews and radio shows, or you know, how many times the question's been posed, what's going on with Jalen Hudson? I mean, if you ask Jalen Hudson, I don't know that he could have answered that either. We knew how gifted a scorer was. He had games like this last year, whether it's Gonzaga, Alabama, he had 27 points in a huge, the, the last uh, regular season road game. This is the player he is. He's the scorer he is. This is who he is at practice. And for some reason, you go 29 games and you don't see the guy. And it's funny because I, I remember writing the story um, in December 
Jalen Hudson has broken out of his funk. He hit four threes, had 14 points against Florida Gulf Coast. So that's where the line was at that point in the season. And it wasn't until the, I think now it's six of the last seven games he's been in double figures and the rollout in 11 for 20 night, four for nine from three, seven for eight from uh, the free throw line. 27 points out of 30 at, at a one stretch. I mean, the, the guy, the guy looked like an NBA player. And I think he obviously thought he was an NBA player when he dipped his toe in the, the underclassman waters last year, but nobody, including him expected the senior season that he had. And I think we know it, it, it's been a somewhat of an underachieving senior season for him. And to it just kind of put an exclamation point on that to have a night like that. I mean, what, why now? Mm-hmm. Why not earlier in the season? But certainly the Gators aren't in the game against LSU without a Jalen Hudson performance. But it just goes to the point, you know, there's always some equation of Florida. Some guy's not scoring for Florida. For most of the season, it's been Jalen Hudson. Um, there's been games where Noah Locke and Kayvon Allen struggled, um, even during that winning streak. And uh, Noah Locke stepped up or Keontae Johnson stepped up or Andrew Nemhart had a great game. They needed one more basket from somebody, two more free throws from somebody and over the course of regulation to give them the really the big signature late season win that they needed and they just weren't able to get it. So going to Kentucky, what do you think that looks like? Because you saw them come to Gainesville. Obviously, they're big, present some of the similar challenges that the LSU does in terms of the glass and the offensive rebounds. But where is the recipe for Florida to get this win that I think most people agree would put them in the tournament if they can find a way to pull it off? What does it look like? Uh, 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 like I said before, I think the number is 10 and 60 all time in Lexington. It's a very, very difficult to, place to play. And not just because they have 24,000 seat arena. It's, it, you know, they, there's always good teams. They have some one and dones. PJ Washington is a candidate for SEC player of the year. He came back. He's become a much, much better player than he was. Tyler Hero is having a phenomenal season. He's probably going to be the SEC freshman of the year. Um, they roll out of bed and win SEC championships, uh, you know, every November. They may not win this one, but they certainly have a chance to win this one. So it'll be a difficult environment. I don't know what Reed Travis's status is. That Florida may not be good enough to beat Kentucky without Reed Travis. But, you know, they're going to have to have – they can't have a Kayvon Allen scoring four points and, and not taking shots. They're, they're going to need scoring from him. They, they're going to need some kind of – I don't know that you can have a performance – like Jalen Hudson had um, up in Lexington, but uh, they're going to have to be on point. They're going to have to show incredible poise because even if you have a great first half and you're going to the locker room at 10, you know, up 10 for years, I've been going there and seeing it. So I, I call them uh, rough runs and they're coming. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, being up there when uh, in 2014, when Scotty Wilbekin pulled Casey Hill off to the side um, in shoot around and explained to me, he goes, there's going to be a time where they're going to score a handful of points in a row and this place is going to get louder than you've ever than any place you've ever been in. It's just a matter of how you handle it. And sometimes it happens right out of the box. A couple of years ago, Florida went there. I think, I don't remember if it was uh, Devin Booker or Jamal Murray. It was some lottery pick. Uh, one of those years, it, it was 21 to four before the, I think before the first media time, at least it seemed that way. Um, so that can happen. So it's, it's how you handle it. Uh, but you do got to go and you have to make shots you, and you, you got to play poise. Florida has three seniors that have uh, all those guys have experienced a, a victory there. So uh, they ought to have some idea what to do. Uh, it may come down to how well Andrew Nemhart, Keontae Johnson and Noah Locke handle it. But uh, to be in a game at Kentucky with five minutes left is an accomplishment. So uh, it's who makes the plays down the stretch. That'll matter. And yes, if Florida beats Kentucky off the road to end the season, 
that will put them in the NCAA tournament, but that's going to be a very, very monumental task. Well, not too far away from Kentucky would be Indianapolis, where a few of the Gators went and competed in the NFL Combine last week. And Scott, as is always the case, uh, you see stocks rising, you see stocks falling. And it seems like maybe two of the more extreme examples of the overall pool are both Gators that are in the draft. Yeah, you know, the uh, NFL's annual meat market is what it's uh, <laughs> an event in itself between the Super Bowl and obviously the draft. And the Gators had eight players up in Indianapolis going through uh, all kinds of testing and interviews and running 40s and verticals measured. And, uh, you know, these are, it's a, no doubt about it, this is a huge, important element of the draft. Uh, guys can change their their status in the draft, uh, good or bad. And, and I don't, I think in, in the two Gators uh, case you just mentioned, Adam, we're talking about Jawan Taylor, the offensive lineman who, uh, a very solid player at Florida, Late in his uh, junior season, you started seeing some mock drafts where Jawan Taylor was a first-round pick, and it caught some people by surprise. But you know, as the season continued on, and uh, Taylor, uh, you know, played well, and the Gators uh, won some games, uh, that didn't change. And then he goes up to the combine and uh, had a really impressive workout uh, in front of the uh, personnel up there, and uh, suddenly you're seeing top ten pick. Uh, you're talking about a guy who didn't even have interest from Florida during his first camp visit up here, wanted to really play here. Uh, the former offensive line coach, Mike Summers, said, you know what? Uh, if you want to play here, go home and lose about 50 or 60 pounds. And that's what he did. They signed him, and, and the rest is history. He, uh, he did what he needed to do to become a good player, and he impressed the scouts uh, at the combine with just his physical nature, interviewed well, uh, has quick feet. Again, uh, you're talking about a top 10 pick, Gil Brandt, the longtime uh, executive of the Dallas Cowboys, who's now with the NFL Network. He, he tweeted that after the workouts uh, with the offensive line, no one uh, was talking more about any player than Jawan Taylor. So great news for him. On the flip side, Ja'Kai Polite. Uh, we had a breakout season this year, led the Gators in sacks. Uh, great combination as a speed rusher and NFL off the edge. Uh, he's got this great bend, flexibility, great speed. Yet he goes up to Indianapolis, and uh, really what, what kind of did him in, he, he ran a, a 40 that wasn't up to par. And then afterwards, he, he said it was a hamstring injury. Then you got some scouts or people telling reporters that that's uh, BS, and that starts to spread. And then he goes into his interview, and, you know, I watched it. It wasn't as bad as it read. But, you know, they were talking to me. He, he just kind of voiced some surprise that, some of the teams were bashing him, meaning that during the interviews, you know, they were pointing out his weaknesses, which is what they do. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's challenging him and seeing what can he answer. So I don't I don't know how he handled that privately, but in, in the press conference he had up there, he kind of pointed that out and, you know, didn't necessarily like it. And of course, people took that and ran with it. Uh, so now you're talking about Ja'Kai Polite, who went into the combine as you know, certainly almost a lot uh, first-round draft pick. Now there's some questions there. Did he do damage to himself up there with whole fall? But having been around, uh, the, there's a lot of politics going on here. You know, some teams might bash him, uh, hoping maybe that people will back off of him. You know, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a strong suspicion that, you know, the biggest thing he needed to do, he looked like he gained about eight, nine pounds, didn't look as in shape as the player we saw in Atlanta. So if he can get himself in shape and come here to pro day and put up some good numbers, 
uh, I think he'll be fine. But, you know, you just never know. It'll be interesting. Either way, I know this. There, there will be a team that takes him in the first uh, 40 picks, I bet, unless he just something, you know, something really goes off that we just don't know about. But the combine is never uh, – it never fails to uh, turn out some headlines. And this year just so happened through the guys were Gators. So we know which guys grabbed the headlines, but what about the other Gators that were participating? Well, you had you, know, you had – Eight Gators up there. Chauncey Gardner uh, Johnson, I think, really helped himself. Obviously, his performance in the uh, Chick Fil A Bowl, winning defensive MVP, elevated his status. I think there's now talk that he could be a late first round draft pick. I think going into the combine, most people projected him for sure in the top three or four safeties available, maybe in the you know late second round, early third round pick. But he ran an impressive forty. He's got great size, speed combination. Uh, I think he impressed some teams up there, and now you know he could be a, a first rounder. Going to other guys, you know, guys like CC Jefferson, Martez Ivy. I don't think they did anything either way, good or bad, from what I've read. I think you know those guys are are probably potential. Martez Ivy certainly will get drafted. I don't know about CC Jefferson. Uh, the other guy, Voshan Joseph, who left early. He seemed to do okay, although he didn't participate in some of the physical drills he just interviewed. So we'll get a better gauge, I think, after Pro Day on March 27th, what teams are really thinking uh, as the draft approaches. Let's turn our attention to baseball. And, Scott, I know you uh, you wrote an article on FloridaGators.com kind of about the status of the Gator offense, and it wasn't in a great place through the first couple weeks of the year, but has started to really get into gear over the course of the last week or so. Yeah, young team, a young lineup. Some alarms went off that first week when they didn't do uh, too well, but they've really turned it around. None, none more so than what a twenty-eight to five win against Winthrop uh, over the weekend uh, in the first game of a doubleheader. Gators hit three grand slams uh, that game, the first team in SEC history to do that. But really, it just goes along to the young players kind of finding their groove, and it happens. And you know what? We'll be talking maybe later in the season. They'll They'll have a dip, but the one guy I wrote about this week, Adam, who has been in the middle of it all from the start, who has produced from the start, is freshman first baseman Kendrick Callalau. He already leads the team with 18 RBIs, has really looked as a, a polished hitter for a guy that, you know, is fresh out of high school, was a 30th round draft pick by the Cardinals, coming out of the first academy down in Orlando. Uh, decided, obviously, that he wanted to get a college education and play at a program like UF, comes up here. And he's been probably the most impressive player, him and Brady McConnell, the, the sophomore shortstop who uh, you know, we only saw him for a few games last year before a wrist injury sidelined him for the year. So those two guys have done a lot of the offensive work. And then veterans like Will Dalton and Nelson Maldonado and Brady Smith, uh, they've had their moments. Brady Smith's really struggled, but even he's uh, starting to turn around. So I think this is a team that, just through the first quarter of the season, we've seen both sides of the coin in terms of the offense. But I think Kevin O'Sullivan hit it all along. You know, he said, "Look, man, I've, I watched this team all through the fall. Uh, this team is going to hit." Uh, and he he seems to be right after that first week. That's what he was saying. And now, what ten days later, they certainly are hitting. And you know, it'll get tougher in the SEC. Uh, but right now, I think uh, they're putting up the numbers offensively. And if there's a big question mark, Adam. I think around what the Gators have done in the young season so far, their most prized prospect or highest ranked prospect is starting pitcher Tyler Dyson, the Friday night guy. He's had three starts. None of them have been 
very impressive. His, he's got some control issues and efficiency is uh, on the mounds, uh, you know, forcing us Sullivan to pull him out early because of pitch count. So I know they really want to see him uh, find his groove because everybody can see the, the natural talent, you know, throwing in the mid nineties and uh, not many guys can do that at this level. And he, they just want to see him start. So to me, that's the biggest question mark right now. So that's what's going on on the baseball side. Softball, haven't had a chance to talk about that a lot this year, but this weekend is big for them as they come home for their first SEC series in this newly renovated KDC Shore Presley Stadium. And they've been pretty battle-tested so far. Two trips out to the West Coast, a lot of impressive wins. The only loss is actually a pair to UCLA. But other than that, they've accumulated a bunch of impressive victories, and now we'll see what they do against top 10 opponents in the league, which is what Tennessee presents. Yeah, Adam, it's the only uh, top 10 matchup in the country this weekend. Uh, Florida, what, number four, Tennessee, seven. But you mentioned the, the two West Coast trips. They just got back from the uh, Judy Garman Classic out in California, which is a challenge that Tim Walton likes to put to his teams every year because, you know, he recruits California heavy. He knows that's a great state that produces top talent. And you had three West Coast teams out there in Oregon and UCLA and Washington. And the Gators uh, – Fared well against Oregon and Washington, but the first two losses of the year came out there. They lost to UCLA twice, and that's a team that, you know, both programs make it to Oklahoma City like a lot of people project, and they very well could meet up with the Bruins again. But first, you got to go through the SEC, and uh, Tennessee's coming to town, and the first chance where they they have a big-time opponent coming in at the renovated stadium, and I'm sure if the weather holds, there's going to be some really big crowds out there, and it's a typical Tim Walton team so far. I mean, Kelly Barnhill's out there on the mound doing her thing. Amanda Lorenz and company at the plate. I think they're 24 and two overall. Uh, Tim Walton's got to be pretty confident that you know they're going to hold up well through the SEC schedule. We've talked a lot about Gator teams winning SEC championships in the last couple of weeks. Gymnastics joined that group, which interestingly enough is their first regular season title in gymnastics because that's a new thing that was just introduced a year ago. So uh, they've had a great year so far. Now they add some hardware, chance to do more at the tournament. But at the moment, Scott, they've got their final meet of the regular season coming up on Friday. Yeah, they uh, they close out the home season and they start the postseason. And I was reminded everyone who was uh, went to the, the men's basketball game on uh, Wednesday night was reminded of that SEC championship because right by the doors they had some signs congratulating the uh, gymnastics team for going out to Arkansas and winning last week, clinching the uh, regular season title. You know, they had a had a chance to do it a week before at home and got edged by Georgia in a very, uh, very entertaining meet at the O-Dome. And, and uh, they'll, like I said, they'll close it out this Friday night, senior night, and then the SEC championships, and then it's on to the uh, postseason and just a matter of, are they going to be on their uh, their peak performance when it matters most? Uh, but I just know from being around and going to a couple of meets, Jenny Rowland, the head coach, she's she's like this team from day one, and and they've stayed healthy. And and the freshmen like Trinity Thomas has have contributed, but also Alicia Boren, she'll be one of the ones who uh, are on her on senior night. She's a huge part of this team, and uh, if the Gators do it, they're going to have to have contributions uh, from uh, both of those and many more. Okay, let's wrap up today with our PAT, which is inspired by someone who I imagine Chris is rather unhappy with right now. That would be one Bryce Harper, who last week became the highest paid athlete in the history of North American sports with a $330 million contract, which is just 
mind-boggling when you think about it. But my question isn't so much about him holding that record because I don't think he necessarily deserves to be the highest paid athlete in North American sports. My question for you is, who should hold that record? Well, first of all, I'm not, I don't hold anything against him. I mean, he was an awfully good player for one of my Washington teams for, you know, the last seven years. So, I mean, he did, everyone knew he was going to get a big fat contract. He's only 26 years old. And the fact he didn't get a bigger one was somewhat a, a little bit surprising, but then again, not at how the landscape of the free agency market in major league baseball has been this offseason. There's still some good players out there, but you're asking me who deserves the fattest contracts. Um, probably Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. He's got a bunch of the rings. I mean, if I, uh, I would have definitely said if we go back in time, you asked me this question on the, uh, on the podcast, uh, 20 years ago, you know, I'm saying Michael Jordan, but certainly you can have the conversation between Tom Brady and LeBron James. And I, I used to take my daughter to see um, great players play just so because she, she liked sports growing up in the in a home with a sports writer. And, and I, I remember taking her to see Michael Jordan, although he was playing with the Wizards at the time, just so I wanted her to be able to say she saw Michael Jordan play. But I mean, if you'd asked me this, like I said, 20 years ago, I'd say Michael Jordan would would be that guy. But uh you know, if you go down to sports, who's the guy that, you know, years from now, you're going to say, yeah, I saw him play. Well, I did get to see Tom Brady win a couple of Super Bowls because just being a NFL writer at the time. But I did get to see LeBron James play uh, in person several times. And if you we want to go to hockey, I'm going to go Alex, Alex Ovechkin. And yes, uh, I'm provincial when it comes to that as a, as a D.C. sports fan. But at the same time, uh, you'd be hard pressed to name a, a more electrifying player in the National Hockey League right now than Alex Ovechkin, who even at 33 or 34 is still, uh, you know, one of the three or four best players in the league, I would think is certainly one of the most fun to watch. So, um, but if I got to pick any of those guys that I just named, we want Tom Brady. Scott's probably going to disagree with me. He's probably going to go, he's probably going to go a baseball route. I think I, I know the number he's going to say, or I think I know the name he's going to say. No, this is one time that actually uh, I can't really argue if I had to say the current professional athlete who deserves get paid most based on performance and accomplishments i mean uh, to me it's tom brady clear-cut number one what six super bowls and and so many changes around him i mean he's the only guy him and belichick who have been there from start to finish through all this and you know when i think of tom brady and go back through his career i try to think of all the great players he's had surrounding him over those years and i mean obviously i remember randy moss but then I start, I mean, Wells Welker, you know, guys like that, they don't just rush to mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gronkowski is a good player, but the, the, it's not like he's been uh, surrounded by Hall of Famers throughout this run. He's been surrounded by great parts that fit the puzzle. But it's him who's the, uh, the machine that makes it all happen, him and Belichick. So you can't really, I don't think you can really go with anybody else currently. LeBron James is certainly a, he would be number two on my list because of championships and the value that he brings to a franchise. But even we've seen in his first year with the Lakers, they're, they're risking maybe missing the playoffs. Uh, finish with a losing record. Uh, other than when Brady had that injury that cost him a year. I mean, he's he's hummed along. Uh, but if you go look at each sport, I think it's Brady. I think it's LeBron James in basketball. I think baseball, although Bryce Harper started your question, to me, there's no better all-around player than Mike Trout. I mean, Mike how, Trout. How much money is that guy going to make when he comes a yeah. free agent in 2021? Yeah, when he, when he, I mean, there, he's already – I've been reading some baseball stuff with the season about to start. and His numbers at this point in his career, I mean, he's on pace like to be one of the two or three greatest players in history. 
uh, in the new analytics that they, they really mark these guys with. And uh, he's still, I think, only 27 years old or so, 26. I mean, he's a, he's a young guy. Uh, so whenever he does come up, I mean, you're talking about <laughs> he might be the first $400 million yeah. uh, professional athlete. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good names you guys brought up, but I think the answer, this this almost feels like a objective question more than subjective because it's got to be Brady. Football is the biggest sport in the country at the moment. Quarterback is the most important position, has the biggest impact in the game, and he's the guy who's winning and doing it at a level without necessarily having the best talent around him. So as much as it pains me to say, I, I think it is Brady. So it looks like we, we do have consensus here on this PAT. Holy uh, cow. Yeah, we, we've reached consensus, which means uh, it must be time to wrap it up. So I will thank both you guys for joining me as always. Encourage everyone to follow them at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris. Chris will be up in Lexington this weekend. Check him out on FloridaGators.com. And Scott, of course, will be covering baseball. So, gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Adam. See you, Adam. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who's made more of their time in college than Kavarius Hayes. Far from the action on the court, Hayes has fully embraced the cultural and educational opportunities that abound everywhere you look at the University of Florida, embodying the true meaning of a student-athlete. We spoke to the Army brat by way of Live Oak just before Senior Day and began our wide-ranging chat by asking what was going through his mind as he reaches the end of the road. You know, just kind of a little reflection, staying back uh, on kind of all that I've done here over the years. You know, it's like my last home game. It's the last chance I have. It's like really play in front of the rowdies. It's like it's been a long time coming, and it's kind of hard to believe, you know, it's already here. Well, it's coming at the end of what's been a, a kind of a roller coaster season. There's been some big highs. There have been some difficult lows as well. <laughs> How have you handled all of the ups and downs as they've come throughout the year? I would say kind of like trying to keep like a positive attitude, you know, motivate my team whenever, like whatever way I can, you know, just try to be kind of like tremendous energy on and off the court. I know a big turning point recently was the, the players-only meeting that I heard you were kind of instrumental in organizing. Where did the inspiration come from to take that step? So it's kind of reflecting on like, you know, uh, past years when we kind of like had our rough spots in some of my previous seasons. You know, I just felt like, you know, trying that again. Because uh, before the seniors ahead of me, you know, they called the meetings and then I felt like those were pretty influential it was like it's how we played you know so um i just decided to call one myself kind of feel like how would that work out for us and we're able to go on our little our little streak there i know it was the first kind of situation like that for a lot of the freshmen as well as important as they've been to the team how did they respond to it you know was it something they were receptive to did it take a little bit of pushing to understand why this was happening and, and why it was necessary i thought they were pretty understanding you know pretty much in the meeting kind of like kept an open floor like reiterated that everybody was welcome to speak anything you had you know we just had to kind of see like where everybody's head was at you know in line with that you've always been one of the more vocal guys on the team have you always been a leader on previous teams growing up or is this a skill you developed while you're at florida i would say it's most of uh, being a vocal leader is probably mostly developed while i was here at florida usually i just try to you know do the right thing and just lead by example but um being here at florida kind of you know, I was, like, encouraged coming up, you know, when I was, like, a sophomore and junior to, like, kind of speak up more. And then, you know, it took full effect as I became a senior. So I would definitely say it sort of influenced me being, like, more a vocal leader. And this is kind of in line with that as well. As you start to look back on your time, 
which teammates do you feel like had the biggest impact on you both on and off the court? It's kind of hard to point out like one specific person. I know like, um, you remember like Dorian Finney Smith when he was here, he kind of helped me out a little bit as far as like keeping me in it, you know, as far as like understanding the game, just like playing, He's, like go out there, don't even worry about nothing, just like play the way you play. And then after that, it was more like Casey, um, Casey Hill kind of helped me with being more, more vocal. He let me understand like what I brought to the team and then therefore like see how hard I play. People respect what I say and he kind of helped me get into the more vocal role. Those two are probably the ones that helped me the most like on the court. It's kind of hard to say off the court. I feel like it's like it's always been a great family environment. You know, like if I had any problems or anything like that, my teammates would be like always there for me if I needed anything, whether it's like, a ride because my car didn't work or like needed some type of help. So it's kind of hard to pick one specific guy for like off the court, but definitely on the court. I would say, uh, like I said, Dorian Finney-Smith and Casey. When you think about what you were like when you came to campus four years ago, in what ways do you think you've improved the most? Again, sort of on the court and off the court as well. I would say I've improved more as like being more serious about like how I play. Off the court, I say over the years, um, my interaction with like just every everybody else around me. I guess I was like always like a social person, but it wasn't like constructive. It was just like just for fun. But then you know I got to know like a lot of people, especially like um, around the Hawkins Center. A lot of assistants that helped me, and then um, some of the people who aren't even I even made friends with people who aren't even like athletes, like stuff like that. Just like getting to know the people who actually go to Florida, kind of things that they get into. You know like both parts of being like student and athlete. If you look back now on where you were as a freshman, what's the best piece of advice you would give yourself today knowing what you know now? I would say like definitely take more days for myself, kind of like more reflection. So then kind of figure out like what I wanted sooner, kind of what I want, uh, want to do and stuff like that. As you come toward the end and you start reflecting more on, on this whole journey, what games, what moments do you remember the most? Definitely, you know, sophomore year, we made the run. You know, we won, like, I don't even know how many games we won in a row, but we made it all the way to, like, the Elite Eight. And then that was, like, pretty huge turn. Like, I remember, like, the environment. Like, everybody was excited and hyped. And we were, like, amped up. Just probably one of the greatest memories, greatest moments um, I'll have to remember here. Do you have a home game that stands out, something at the O-Dome, a day where you were just like, wow, this is this is really going on today? Back when we had played against Kentucky on college game day, and I beat them at home, I was like a great feeling. That was pretty intense. We played against Kentucky, so like to win that game, you know, on college game day, I remember I had like a bunch of family here, and then it was just like as a team, we all played really well. You could feel the energy just like coming off from the crowd and everything. It was like so loud at one point, couldn't even hear my own thoughts. It was like a surreal moment. You know, definitely gonna miss those. Well, I know you've always had a really good connection with the Rowdies as well, so I'm curious, what are some of the funniest things you've seen or heard the Rowdies do to uh, harass an opponent during your time? <laughs> um, I guess, like, first coming here, I didn't know, like, the extent they went to, but they actually have, like, like meetings for the Rowdies. Like, okay, this and this player, like, they do research and everything. I really found out that one of the players, like, got, like, a... DUI or something like that and then it was like they just find whatever they can about somebody <laughs> and then they just use it against them <laughs> like even before the game starts like they're already like shout they're shooting around I can hear the rallies like yelling comments out at them and it's just like, that's like some dedication right there like they put in their, uh, the time and effort just to go 
do whatever they can, kind of throw the players off their game. Mm-hmm. I think the funniest one that's like most recent, where they had um, <laughs> had managed to match with one of the players on like this uh, dating app, and then <laughs> <laughs> and printed out the pages and brought it to the game. I was, <laughs> I was like way beyond anything I ever imagined what happened. Do you feel like that stuff works? I mean, do you see it actually affecting players during the game? <laughs> there are some games where you do have, like, the more, you know, talkative players, like, the, you know, say things here and there. And they'll often sometimes, like, make comments, you know, like, whether it's, like, at the free throw line towards the end of the game or, like, either running past the rowdies and, and then just, like, say something, like, either to them, about them, or even, like, we're at the free throw line, you know, like, they'll, like, say something to me about them like are they always this loud or like something like that um so i feel like maybe maybe in a way they kind of like puts that thought in their mind because soon as because i can only imagine like the feeling that someone has like we play a tough defense and they air ball and then every time you touch the ball from there on out the rallies are just chanting air ball mm-hmm. i feel like maybe it does like get in their head because it's like keeps reminding them like you know their last shot or they messed up it definitely could you know play a part when you go away from home you've played in a lot of different venues uh what's your favorite arena to play in other than the o-dome well actually like, this is not my favorite but it's like one one to know when we play at tcu like their arena was like really nice i kind of like the way it looked like the way it felt hmm. but i would say like probably one i've been to the like past four years like rup arena rup arena that's it's just because it's atmosphere what is it about rup do you enjoy like, it's just, like, the atmosphere itself. Like, um, I remember, like, my freshman year, we played there. Oh, I was, like, didn't really know what to expect. And then, out of nowhere, like, they're actually shooting off fireworks. And fire coming out the backboard. I'm like, they go all out here. <laughs> <laughs> it just, like, threw me off. I was like, man, you know, like, can you even do that indoors? But I guess, like, that was pretty insane. <laughs> So a lot of your former teammates are now playing professionally. They're overseas. They're in the D League. They're in the NBA. What guys are you still in contact with, and what do they tell you about playing at the next level? I still talk to quite a few of them. Cheese, sometimes Durant, you know, Casey, though, you know, they always say, like, they enjoy it. You know, like, they're having, like, a good time. Like, even Pat came back for a little bit. And so, like, it's just like, um, I never actually play with him. I just know him. Um, but, yeah, they're like, they say at the next level, you know, it's like tougher. You know, the competition really amps up. And at the end of the day, you know, they, they expect a lot of success. And they, they just know like hard work and dedication kind of got them there. And they said, just keep doing what I'm doing. I want to talk about your nickname. We're going to talk about Spidey here. Uh, I've heard the story. I know the story. But for people that don't know the story, can you talk about where that nickname came from and how it ended up replacing Special K, which is the nickname you came into school with? I think it was like... Uh, Coach May or, or Dean, I can't really remember. I didn't really start calling me Spidey. And I think he said it because, like, um, how active I was on the court, like, quickly moving around, sporadic, like, always, you know, always, like, in the place, some type of way. Whereas, like, getting rebounds, getting uh, blocks, steals. Like, it was always something. And I like to use the analogy where, like, uh, thinking like a spider web, mm-hmm. and that'll be, that'll be the paint. So anything that comes in there, you know, I'm catching it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Are you also big on the Spider-Man movies? Yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen just about all of them. So this is the, the most important question I'm going to ask you. How would you rank the Spider-Man movies? Give me the, the top three Spider-Man movies of the, I believe there's six that you can choose from. Oh, you know uh, what? No, there's, there's actually seven. There's the original trilogy, 
There was the two after that, and then the new Spider-Man, and then there was Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse. So there's seven of yeah. them. Give me, give me top three. I really like the way they did Into the Spider-Verse. So, like, um, but I want to say it's number one. Number one, I probably have to be, uh, I really, I really like this new Spider-Man. I can't remember the actor's name right now. Tom Holland. Tom Holland. That's, I really like um, the way he kind of does this Spider-Man. So number one would be Spider-Man Homecoming. The two would be uh, um, the first Spider-Man. So I think I could still, like, quote half that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's a Spider-Verse to be third. That's that's a solid top three, and, and you got a new one coming out this summer, so you can maybe add that. That'll probably move up your list because it's one of the new yeah. ones with Tom Holland. I really like the the Avengers too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Avengers, um, where like he was in it, almost was like very very touching, mm-hmm. emotional. No, especially at the end. For <laughs> for spoiler alert, for people who haven't seen it, it's it's really intense at the end when he disintegrates. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And if people are upset by that spoiler, uh, you should have seen it by now because the new one comes out in a month. Right. So that, that's on them. That's not on us for talking about it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, you need to get with it. Right, right, right. Obviously, you're a big pop culture guy based on what we just talked about. What else are you What, what else are you into these days? Movies, TV shows? What's What's on your list? Well, mostly around this time of year, I really get like Netflix heavy because we do a lot of traveling. So I need something to kind of like to do on the road. I just found like some shows I'm like really into watching, like Supernatural was a thing to me. Season 13 come out. Uh, I think I just finished that. Uh, the Blacklist just mm-hmm. started it, and it actually got like five seasons right now. So that's like all my time. That's right. right. You, get, you got like a hundred episodes to get through. Yeah, I'm like dang. <laughs> but yeah, now that it's like spring break for us right now, I'm actually you know putting in some time, some downtime. I got find a way to watch it. That's right. Hard-earned downtime. You don't you don't get a lot of that in your particular sport. Yeah, definitely not. So long. Missed a lot of holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Final few things for you. As we're talking to you today, uh, it is your birthday. So I want to ask you a couple birthday questions. First, what is the best birthday gift you've ever received? Oh, I don't want to get this wrong. <laughs> but, well, because like, I think it was like, well, I don't think it was on my birthday, like around my birthday. I was in like 10th grade. And um, my mom had just came in from overseas, and she like surprised me right before the game. So I knew she was coming back like that week. I didn't know she was back like that day. And then like right before the games, she comes in there, and it's like very emotional moment, you know, like because I haven't seen her like only like know how long, but like I just missed her. And I probably played one of my best games. I don't even know what my stats were. It was like a really good game for us. It was like a rival game too. So like everybody was there because like I'm. I'm pretty close to like live, like uh, you know, all my family's around there, so I had a bunch of family there. It was a good time. You, you didn't get it wrong. It's a good answer. <laughs> uh, as we sit here right now, you have already become the second best shot blocker in the history of Florida basketball. What does that mean to you, knowing that you're leaving with with that kind of distinction? I was glad I was able to like you know leave behind a type of legacy, you know, that to be remembered. So like when I visit here, like. 10, 15 years, you know, and if I finally do decide to have kids of my own, just, I have something to show them, like, hey, you know, back in the day, your dad was a man, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, you can look me up at the stat sheet right, right now. But um, it's nice to kind of associate myself with some of the other Gator greats. Like, it was very big for me passing up Al Horford and Joe Kim mm-hmm. on, the, on the stat line because, like, actually seeing those guys play before, Kind of like how they play, you know, like, and they're very successful, you know, both in the league. And it's just like, kind of associating myself along with them and just kind of proving my worth here at Florida. 
And I'm sure you get this question a lot right now, and you probably are tired of having to think about it, but I'm curious, what's next for you? Once you're done this season, what does your future look like as of now, and, and how does basketball fit into that? Well, right now, I haven't really thought, like, so far, it's just kind of taking it slow. But I do know that I do want to play more basketball, so kind of seeing, like, where that takes me. But first and foremost, just going to finish out this semester and graduate. And after that, I'll take my chance to see, like, what opportunities work out best, and that's that. Final question for you. I know right now it's all about the push to make the NCAA tournament and, and keep that dream alive. What do you think will make that happen for this team? What is this team at their best? How do you get to that point? I feel like the team at their best is like uh, selfless, tremendous energy. It's like games that we play, you know, together is because we're all like, playing hard. We all have like, the same common goal in mind. And it's like, it's contagious. You know, like a couple guys come out strong, like bring a lot of energy to the team. And right? it's like you spread that around. And I feel like that's what we've had over the past, you know, two weeks that kind of like got us on our run itself because we were really playing at a high level because we played together and played with a lot of energy. Any mistakes we made were able to be corrected just because of how hard we were playing. And I feel like for us, bringing the energy was definitely what got us going. Well, Kavaris, we know you still have some basketball to play, but want to congratulate you on everything you've accomplished up to this point. Also, congratulations on being the first athlete to ever appear three times on Gator Tales. And uh, I guess thank you so much for doing that for us. Uh, no problem. It was my pleasure. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice. And please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Can the Gators seal their tournament fate with an upset of Kentucky? Find out on Saturday at 2 o'clock on CBS and the Gator IMG Sports Network. Then come back next week as we'll give you the lay of the land entering the postseason. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at Rupp.